millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning, welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's cold, it's frosty and the outlook is pretty grim. Yes folks, uh, it's not just the October weather we're talking about. It is of course Tory party conference time. Theresa May is cheering anyone on who'll slag off Boris Johnson. Philip Hammond says Boris is incapable of growing up politics and will never be Prime Minister and that's before any of them actually make a speech. One piece of good news is that Europe won the Ryder Cup and the Remainers are still arguing about it. For heaven's sake, coming up this morning we're going to stay away from Birmingham for an hour and instead we're asking why shouldn't students be taught how to be prostitutes to get them through university without going into debt. I think it's quite a good idea. 0344 499 Dawn Leeson is here. She'll be telling me just how much force you can use to fight off a burglar in your own home, why so many opera girls are smuggling alcohol into the shows, and whether waiters should get paid all tips under a new law. 0344 499 You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Dawn Leeson on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Story uh, in the papers this morning, having a go at Brighton University, right? Yes. Because Brighton University did what I think is actually not a bad idea. Uh, they basically invited uh, a load of sex workers in to have a stand at Freshers' Week so that they could talk to the students about the possibilities uh, and or uh, the, the dangers of going into the sex industry while you're a student uh, because you might want to do it in order to make some money. We're going to talk now to Kat Stevens, who's a sex worker uh, and volunteer at the IUSW, the International Union of Sex Workers. Kat, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Hi, thanks very much for having us on the programme. Hi, Kat. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm told I have to say former sex worker because you're not a sex no, worker no, anymore. No, 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 I'm still working. Oh, I'm mean, not right this minute. Okay, so yeah, no, so far we've been on the air ten minutes and I've got I've made two mistakes thanks to our producer. But never mind. <laughs> could be a long it's show. It's not a problem. could be a long show. Now, I, I think this is quite a good idea, Kat. What about you? Um, I'm really glad to hear that, and uh, I'm really sorry that Brighton University and the great project in Brighton has been attacked for doing this. I think that really indicates one of the problems, is that when people attempt to deliver services to people in the sex industry, those projects are attacked, those projects are undermined, Mm. and it gets away from actually their hard work of improving lives of people who are selling sex. Because the problem, of course, is that I don't think anybody really understands the sex industry, perhaps unless unless you work in it. Because, I mean, we were talking about it this morning. I'm not sure what the situation is legality-wise in terms of, you know, whether we have saunas where sex is sold, whether we have brothels where sex is sold, whether it's uh, available to be sold in any way, shape or form legally in sort of red light zones and all of that. What is the legal situation if you are a sex worker? Hello. <coughs> 
sorry, the law works really well in terms of uh, uh, encouraging a situation that works for predators and for exploitation. And it does that by making it illegal for any set premises in which there is more than one person selling sex. So if you're working in complete isolation, you're legal, and of course you're really vulnerable because right. you're in complete isolation. If you're working with other people, you're illegal, and of course they are very vulnerable because if somebody does take advantage of that illegality to rob, rape, or otherwise um, attack you, uh, they know that if you go to the police, you are at risk of arrest uh, because of because you're uh, because you're breaking the law. So actually, what we want to see is laws that work well to target violence against people in the sex industry rather than encourage it. And one of the other things we talk about is making policy based on evidence and in reality rather than rhetoric and stereotypes and assumptions and scaremongering. This was uh, this was organised by the Sex Workers Outreach Project down in Brighton and at Freshers' yeah. Week, which is normally to sort of like you know sell you know join the hockey club, go rowing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And sort of like you know various feminists have said this is essentially a grooming operation, pitching prostitution as a manageable, desirable lifestyle, which is obviously they're not. They're trying to educate people that you know there are things out there that you can do if you are in this lifestyle, and we can help you. So it was, as I agree with Mike, I think it's entirely a good thing. But it's it's like in this country is so confusing. I I did a um a story once um at working in Amsterdam and um, visiting talking to some of the prostitutes working out there, some high end brothels and some of the red light district. And the way it was organised out there seemed to make much more sense than how we do things over here. And and women end up in such a vulnerable position in this country. Well, the legal framework that sex workers in the UK and globally are calling for is, is decriminalisation. Amsterdam has a legalised system, which does work well for some people, but inevitably creates a two-tier system where people who can't comply um, aren't, a, so aren't able to uh, still fall outside the protection of law, whereas New Zealand, parts of Australia, have decriminalised. And the data that we've seen from there um, shows that it's working really well in terms of protecting people who sell sex. There's been Again, there's been scaremongering about how it's increased people selling sex. That isn't actually borne out by the evidence. Uh, and uh, so, for example, in New Zealand, we've seen uh, cases where a woman successfully prosecuted somebody who was running a brothel for sexual harassment. We've seen cases where um, clients have um, uh, removed a condom and they've been successfully prosecuted for endangering the health of the woman selling sex. There's a case uh, quite, that came up quite recently where a client was surreptitiously filming someone. And again, that led to a successful prosecution. So actually, if you look at the experience of people who sell sex, decriminalisation is what works. And it also frees up police time so they can actually target violence and exploitation against people in the sex industry, rather than this kind of broad brush approach at the moment that basically enables predators and rapists to get away with it. And what about the kind of organised crime aspect of, of, of the sex business in terms of, you know, human trafficking that we hear about uh, a lot of Eastern European gangs bringing people in from, from uh, parts, uh, other parts of the world? I mean, how much of a problem is that? And how much, I don't know how much of this you can tell me, but, you know, how much is it a kind of, you know, a woman on her own selling sex without having a pimp and without having anybody sort of in charge of her? 
Well, one of the problems is because everybody is criminalised, so most of the environments I've worked in have been criminal venues because there's been more than one person there, because everybody is subjected to criminalisation. That means it's very difficult to get reliable data. But some of the evidence we do have around trafficking, so there have been a couple of big surveys, uh, uh, but looking at London, which obviously is relatively unusual in that it's, it's uh, got a higher proportion of migrants in many areas of the country. There, overall, the data coming from that showed that roughly 7% of people in the sex industry have experienced trafficking, as defined in the Palermo Protocol, which ah. talks about forced fear or fraud. Now, what, again, one of the problems with UK law is that UK law doesn't talk about that. Under the UK legal definition, I've been a victim of trafficking because somebody has given me a lift to work. If you are giving somebody a lift to work, knowing that they are going to be selling sex, that legally falls under the definition of trafficking in the UK. That's mad. It's really it is. It's crazy. It's really unhelpful in terms of actually tackling violence and exploitation. And as far as the uh, the student aspects of it goes, um, I mean, basically, there's a, apparently the, uh, the the university themselves have launched an investigation because they say, you know, we do not promote sex work for our students. However, um, basically, the, the advice, for example, uh, on some of the leaflets that were given out was safer escorting. Uh, if you don't have anyone to look out for, you fake it, make your punter think that someone else knows where you are. Do you know how many students are involved in this kind of activity in terms of, you know, as a percentage, perhaps, of, of, of the student body? Again, there's not reliable data about that, but one of the things that the Student Sex Work Project, which is based in Swansea University, has talked about, they talk about push factors and think that's things like tuition fees. Uh, and it's also in a context where what people want, generally, people in the sex industry, they are looking for well-paid, flexible, part-time work. Mm. And one of the problems is that if you are looking for well-paid, flexible, part-time work, your options are very few. Even if, you know, sort of you're looking at the kind of things like bar work, if you're looking at things like retail work, those are relatively low-paid jobs. So it needs to be put in a context where we're actually tackling low pay and, and, and working conditions for people generally. And also looking at things like, you know, the extreme cost of housing. I mean, Brighton, particularly London, I think there's some data around in London, 60% of under 30s are kind of, basically 80% of their salary goes on goes on rent and bills. They've got virtually no um, kind of disposable income after they've paid for a roof over their heads. It's things like that that are a problem. And what we need to do is tackle symptoms, but causes, not symptoms. When people are working in the sex industry, part of it is because they do not have other options that mean that they can manage their, manage their studies, manage their childcare and earn a living wage. What advice would you give, Kat, to a young girl that was at this Freshwich Week and wander past this store who was maybe thinking that this was a good industry to go into? I think... I mean, it's, well, I'd, I'd probably need to talk to her for the rest of the time that your program's <laughs> on. But one of the things I'd do is say, look, be aware of issues around stigma. This is a decision that can change your life because actually, I mean, if you look at the case of Belle du Jour, Brooke Magnanti, mm. she worked selling sex when she was a PhD student. She took great lengths to protect her anonymity and... That crumbled. So she was years away from having sold sex. She was living an entirely private life. She was not. She was not uh, involved in uh, kind of um, 
any kind of work around the sex industry whatsoever. And and when it came out in the papers, actually, even though she was in a situation where she had a relatively supportive employer, she is no longer working in science. Mm. So actually, this is something that can, years later, can cause devastating effects on your life. And that's not about the reality of selling sex. And that's not about contact with clients. That's about social attitudes and stigma. Mm. And so that that and, and and from that also, for a lot of people, this is something that they are operating in in secrecy. It's a bit like before homosexuality was decriminalised, when you know, sort of some of the gay men that I know, they 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 grew up living in the closet. They knew that this is something that they could never talk about. Mm. Mm. And secrets have power because you you know anything in your life, even if it's something that you're experiencing as, as benign. You know, people go into the pub on a Friday night and they're kind of like, you know, talking about what happened in the office. This photocopier jammed. This, you know, kind of I was trying to do this and it was a real rush and then somebody called in sick and this and this. And actually, we can't have those conversations. And that means that you are dealing with a really big part of your life, hardly you're experiencing it positively, negatively or neutral, that you cannot talk about. And that, that is a real pressure for a lot of people. Mm. And if you do talk about it, you know, Brooke Magnanti, it was an ex-boyfriend. It was somebody that she had trusted. Mm. And actually, years down the line, this man had the power to change her life. So actually, it does make you very, very vulnerable, and that vulnerable isn't vulnerability isn't just in the here and now. It goes on, and that is totally because of social attitudes and stigma. And a lot of the people who are driving that stigma are the kind of people who object to the work of of, of projects like Swap, and who complained about services being delivered to people in the sex industry at a Brighton University Freshers Fair. But, Kat, I think the thing that people would also say, uh, um, I'm quite surprised, as I'm sure you are, that feminists are saying that, you know, this is a disgraceful thing that happened. Uh, Julie Bindell, co-founder of law reform group Justice for Women, says it's beyond disgraceful that people are encouraging to normalise the sex industry. Uh, I'm amazed that a feminist wouldn't allow a woman to make a choice to do whatever she wanted to do, on the one hand. But also, on the other hand, from what you've just said there about the stigma, I mean, you don't have to do it. You know, there are ways of making money which don't involve selling sex. So you choose to do that uh, and then you have to put up with the downside of it, don't you? Um, I think, well, one of the things that we'd like to see is that people making an informed choice. And so, yes, you know, it's very easy to say. It's a bit like saying to an MP, oh, you choose to be an MP, so you put up huge amounts of abuse on Twitter. I mean, actually, that doesn't mean that you don't do something to tackle the abuse. Mm. Mm. And in terms of what uh, so-called feminists like Julie Bindor uh, and, you know, there's a a real consensus among a lot of feminist organisations. They've chosen to define prostitution as violence against women. That doesn't correspond with the experience of people in the sex industry. They choose to ignore sex workers' voices and sex worker-led organisations and take an ideological view that's about belief rather than reality. Mm. And th- that is that is very entrenched. So you have people like Harriet Harman, you have people like Jess Fertz, you have people like former MP Fiona Taggart, who's... Uh, a lot of a lot of MPs buy into this ideological view that prostitution is a form of violence. And what we want is policies that are based on the reality of our lives, that deliver services and actually enable people to work in the way that best suits them. And ideally a world where people don't have to do a job that they don't like just because it pays well, mm. whether it's 
working working in the sex industry or working in the media. In an ideal world, people would be able to choose a job that that suits them really well and pays a living wage. And would you like to see the legalisation fully of the sex industry, i.e. so that you could have a kind of Las Vegas situation, I guess, where you can go legally to a brothel? No, Las Vegas is completely criminalised. Nevada, rural areas of Nevada are legalised. And legalisation, as they create a two-tier system, decriminalisation, the New Zealand model, is what we're seeking for. And that decriminalises us when we work together. It decriminalises people who offer premises or, or who offer um, or who find work for us. Uh, it decriminalises clients and it, it, it's shown to give the greatest protection to the greatest number of people. It's not a silver bullet for all the problems associated with the sex industry because some of those problems are, are separate from the sex industry. Issues like drug use, issues like uh, the situation for children leaving care, all those things need to be sorted out separately and what we need is policy that unpacks that that untangles that and that, as i say looks at what actually are the causes and puts resources into supporting people at the point where they need it and treats causes not symptoms cat thanks very much Thank indeed cat Stevens, yeah. sex worker and volunteer mm. uh, at the international union of sex workers if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's get the phones. 0344-499-1000. Ken uh, is in Newcastle. Hello, Ken. Good morning, uh, Mike. And is it Kate, isn't it? No, it's Dawn uh, no, today. No, it's Dawn today, <laughs> uh, Ken. Oh, Dawn, I'm sorry. Yeah. No worries. The dawn of a new era. Uh-huh. Yes, dance with the devil, it pronounces in your 
What? Little sketch before the show. Oh, that, yes. My yeah, that's, I didn't write that, by the way. I'm not claiming credit for that. Well, I don't want to dance with the devil, but I'd like to talk with the devil to talk to you this morning, Are Mike, you suggesting I'm the devil, okay. you no, well, you've suggested it. You've suggested it in your programme. I don't think so. Dance with the devil. No, no, but that's not about no, me, though. OK. But regarding this Brighton situation, yes. eh, Mike and Don, can you imagine if you were a parent... I am. ..and you found out... Well, OK. You, have you got children, eh, eh, female children? Have I? Yes. Daughters, yes, Mike? I have one daughter, right. yeah. Can you, ima- can you imagine that if your daughter, you, your daughter went to Brighton University, mm. or even your son, because they're promoting male prostitution and female yes. prostitution, I understand. Yes. Can you imagine finding out that the leadership of the Brighton University are encouraging your children to consider selling their bodies for sex to pay for tuition fees. What has the country come I don't to? think they're encouraging they're, they're them, They're not Ken. encouraging them, Ken. They're just advising them in, in case they wish to do that by their own volition and by their own choice. Uh, that this is what might happen, this is what you should know, and this is what you should be aware of. I think that's very, very sensible. It's how to look after yourself yeah. should you go into that industry. Exactly. I mean, after all, Ken, after all, Ken, this is the oldest business in the world. Don't forget, Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Yes, but she was forgiven and she stopped it by Jesus' grace. But the thing I'm, the point I'm making here is, this Brighton, the Brighton, as you know, is the sex capital of the United is it? Kingdom. I didn't know that. Now, yeah. How do you know that? Oh, yes. Have you been there recently? How do I know that? I've been there many times. Really? Evan- evangelical <laughs> outreach, yes. Okay. I've been there many times to preach the gospel. Right. And I love the people there. I mean, I'm not judging folk. But our That's nation good. has normalized sin. Sin is now normalized, Mike, in this land. Well, I don't believe sin in sin, actually, wickedness. Ken. I don't believe in sin. That's a that's a religious concept and a construct which not everybody agrees with. You know, I don't believe well, that sin exists. It, you might not agree with it, but we're all sinners. Well, that's, no, but that's your view, Ken. God. That's your not view. My view is God's view. Well, I don't know if God get exists, though. The, but getting back to these the, the, the moral situation in okay. this country, Mike, this, this is serious. I know. This is dead serious. It is. Now, this, this country here is normalised Wickedness, lying is even normalised. The politicians today, are, it's normal for politicians to lie, and the country accepts it. Sexual promiscuity, sexual perversion, prostitution is normalised. Male and female prostitution by a university of the land. What are those leaders doing? Are they no moral compass? No, they don't. The moral compass has been destroyed. Well, maybe they're just reflecting, land. Ken. Maybe they're just reflecting reality. The bottom line is. Uh, I would prefer my children to be aware of the big wide world out there rather than to be cosseted yeah, exactly. and have everything yeah. denied. You know, you want your children to go out there. Have you got children, Ken? Yes, I have a son and a daughter. Okay, you want surely your children to be as well informed as they could possibly be. You don't want them to be living under some dark cloak of, of, of sort of mystery, do you? But you don't encourage your children to sell their bodies for sex. Of course you the don't. Well, no, that's not what they're doing. They're not encouraging Ken, them. that is not what they're doing. They are simply informing people about stuff should they wish to find out about it. Nobody's being forced yeah. to stop at the stand and be lectured at by somebody trying to turn them into a prostitute. That's not what's happening, Ken. But thank you very much for your call Thanks, and for Ken. your thoughts, Ken. Apparently he thinks I'm the devil. Well, it's probably got a point sometimes. Best compliment I've had Possibly. all day. Anyway, 0344 Mark uh, wants to talk about prostitution. Hello, Mark. 
That's an introduction, isn't it, Mike? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you do, don't you? Hi, Mark. <laughs> I do. Morning, well, you Don. See morning, this, Mike. But you see, that you're, this is this is part of the problem. Whenever anybody says anything like that, everybody automatically assumes <laughs> no. there's a problem. You know, there shouldn't be. Do you know what? That's exactly why I phoned in, because I thought the lady, was she, was she called, was it Kat or Kat? Kat, Kat. Kat Stevens, bizarrely, yeah, yes. Kat. Oh, right, yeah. And what got me, what really made me think about this was, I don't know if it was Kat or Dawn, who obviously knows the stuff on this, they said, they, you know, they think there's about, about 5,000 students doing this. And I kind of thought, well, if there's 10,000 students going to Brighton, that's 500 young people doing this. Yes. And and it to me it becomes it doesn't become ideological to me. Then what it does is it becomes one of public health and public safety. Exactly. That's what it becomes. Yeah. And just two things then occurred to me as I was speaking to your researcher. We just said. I think it's awful that people try to shut down these people because they think their views better, mm. yeah. no matter what gender they are, male or female. And then I kind of thought, look, let's be honest. There's a large and thriving gay community in Brighton. Mm. And I hope they're doing exactly the same for boys there as well as the girls. Oh, I yeah. hope this isn't just aimed at young girls. No, Mark, this was not discriminatory at all. It was aimed at the, no. the, the, the young men and the young women yeah. who were wandering around Freshers Week looking at the various stores. And as you say, it wasn't lecturing. It wasn't advising them to go into prostitution. No. It was giving them good advice about looking after themselves. Yeah, because I think... And maybe this is as you grow older, you realise life becomes quite complicated and thing, things in life happen. These things happen whether you like it or not. Mm. And it's about making people aware, making people safe, giving them the information. And, and again, as you found out, Don, through your research, there's, there, it's a very, very complicated and nuanced area. Mm. And I mean, if, if, I mean, I couldn't imagine any men's group stepping in and saying, no, you can't educate our young men. I'd stand up and say, you know, go and do one. Well, this is what annoys you me, know? Mark, because it's feminists that are saying this. It's like women having a go at other women again. It's like, no, actually, yeah, girl, we can't ignore the fact girls will get into this industry, whether mm. we like it or not. Yeah. That's a fact. They will happen. So at least if they can look after themselves when they're working in that industry, that has exactly. to be a good thing. Listen, I, I don't know the, the, the ideological nuances of it with regards to the feminists. All that I can say is, it look, to me, it looks like giving information which empowers people. Well, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Why, why would you not want people to be informed? I mean, and make an informed choice, therefore, rather than be uninformed uh, yeah. and make an uninformed yeah. choice. Yes. It makes no sense, does it? Yeah, and put the health think, and think, life at risk. I think the fundamental of it is, well, it ignores the fact that people have agency over their own lives. People make their own decisions mm. despite what they think is right and wrong. People have agency, and you can't take that agency mm. away. Whether you like it or not, you can't take that agency away. Let the people do what you want to do, but do it with, as I say, with as much information as possible and empower them so mm. that they're not putting themselves or the other people mm. at risk. Yes. Mm. And this means boys as well as girls. I mean, if they were stopping stopping it from, from young men who, who work in the sex trade as well, I'd just be appalled. I, I'd just say, well, you've got no right to do this. No, absolutely. You know? No, you're you absolutely might disagree right. with it. You might, if you disagree with it, I'm fair enough with that. Then set up another stall at Freshers Fair and 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 you put your point forward, but stop closing other people down. Well, I'm sure that there were quite a few uh, interesting stalls at the Freshers Fair. We happen to know about this one, but I'm sure if you walked around Brighton the debating University, society. I mean, they might yep. have had the Jehovah's Witnesses there. Yep. I mean, all sorts of people. Yep. But you know, knowledge, as you say, Mark, is power. Yeah. Uh, Mark in Castleford there uh, making a very good point. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. 
1000 is the number. Paul says, this someone broke into my house in the 1980s and all they took was a loaf of bread. Obviously, he was hungry and needed to make a cheese sandwich. Never took my VCR or my Technic stereo system. How strange. Did, did he take any cheese as well, though, to go with the bread? Well, I don't know how he knows he wanted a cheese sandwich. <laughs> well, exactly. Also, if you wanted to make a sandwich, wouldn't you just slice a couple of, couple of, couple of just slices? Take, yeah, don't take the whole loaf. And just don't yeah. take the whole loaf. Mm. Very, very strange. Um, here's one from uh, Bugle who says, Ray burglars in houses. I never knew Duncan Ferguson was South African. <laughs> Just listening, of course, to our friend Jack there who said that he'd really done over the burglar. That was another That was another one you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Where, um, what, you know, what about the wrong person to burgle? To, to burgle, Duncan really? Ferguson, a guy mm. who actually did time in jail yeah. for an assault that was accused that he made on the football pitch. Yes. Never mind off it. Yeah. Um, here's one from Rob. He says, I hate the thought of it all, but if allowed, I would seriously consider owning one. Totally get why the US have it. I think it's all about guns. Been burgled once, took two cars and wrote them off, plus a lot of our possessions. We were in bed asleep. There was a freaky feeling afterwards. I had no defence uh, if I'd woken up. I mean, the problem is as well for people, if um, you get your house broken into, mm. a lot of times you don't really want to live there anymore. No, it because is the if weirdest you feel, feeling. you feel vulnerable, yeah. you feel as though... I mean, I ended up... I remember sitting... After the third time this guy burgled mm. my, my office and he basically took more or less everything that I'd ever put in there... Mm. I remember sitting in a bar in tears because I thought, you know, why is this happening to me? No, it's, and you start to feel really kind you of... You still feel paranoid. Like, it's like someone watching us. I mean, sort of yeah. the last time we were burgled, we didn't even realise... We'd been away for the weekend and we didn't even realise we'd been burgled until about two days later. Yeah. And I went into the spare room and it's like, I didn't make the bed like that. Yeah. And I knew Mark hadn't been in there. My husband hadn't been in there. So it's like, well, what? And then you start looking around. And it's like, they'd actually been in there. Right. We didn't know it was for two days, Mike. Yeah, really? Yeah. They'd, wow. they'd obviously searched under the bed, under the mattress, yeah. but they'd made the bed. Mm. They'd pulled the curtains. So it right. looked like they... And we didn't even discover that they'd taken our passports Blimey. until we, we got them out about a month later really? to go somewhere. Goodness me. Seriously. I mean, the only other time I got burgled was when first we first moved back from America and my daughter was very young uh, and they took, we lived in this place in Belsize Park and it was about six, six flats in one mm. sort of big house and they just went in and did everybody yeah. but only took things they could carry. Yes, of so course. So they took yeah. jewellery, yeah. uh, a lot of the stuff that my, yeah. my daughter had been given a load of stuff when yeah. she was christened, you know, like yeah. little things which you never get back. You never get that back, you know? no. Insurance companies make it even more traumatic for you afterwards yeah. as well. Yeah, and so do the police actually. Yeah. That's another story. Let's talk now though to Katie Perry as she is of course uh, our woman at Conservative Party Conference. Uh, she was here on Friday after having spent a week uh, with the Labour Party. Oh, I know. Poor this Katie. is much more her natural home. In fact, there's a great picture on Twitter that David Wooding from The Sun has put up. He says, teaming up with Talk Radio's top hosts, Katie Perrier and Julia Hartley Brewer. Uh, Julia seems to be puckering up next to him, Katie being a bit more demure. Katie, <laughs> very good uh, afternoon to you. Good afternoon. I think I look quite scared. Hi, in that Katie. Picture, you do. Well, I don't blame you for looking scared with those two next well, to you. Well, is Julia puckering up to David or to you? I can't quite work that one out. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's to David. I just worry about where my hand was on that picture, but that's yes. for, for, some, for someone else to work that out. That is no, for someone I'm, else. I'm here. I'm alive. It's the Conservative Party conference in Birmingham. And uh, what we, we were presented with when we woke up uh, yesterday at the start of the conference was a choice between a festival yes. in 2022 that the Prime Minister's offered us, mm. yay, mm. or a bridge, which I didn't know anyone wanted a bridge but apparently Boris has now decided we want a bridge. Where's the bridge, bridge going, going to? to? Bridge to nowhere. <laughs> bridge to nowhere. It's meant to be going from the UK in terms of uh, the, the mainland oh, yeah. uh, over to Northern Ireland uh, because clearly we now need a bridge. I mean I don't know we needed a bridge but we do now. Right. So um, uh, let's just say I wasn't utterly inspired by either option No. Uh, yesterday and I'm hoping that it gets better from here on in. But some of the policies they're coming out with uh, you know things like we're going to make sure people get to keep their tips. Well we've only been to 
restaurants. We've only been talking about that for the last two years. Yeah, right. No one's found the parliamentary time to do it. It's a never-never policy to, designed to make a few young people happy. Mm. And, you know, it doesn't really inspire me. So... It's what not really sexy, is it, Katie? Well, I mean, no. I, having, I'm talking about inspiring you. I'm sorry to have to drag you out of the conference hall so you can't listen to good old Philip Hammond or Eeyore, as he's known, <laughs> uh, you know, Mr. Gloomy. Because, I mean, if, if there's anybody who's about the most uninspiring member of the Cabinet, it's him, isn't it? Well, except he's been quite funny in the last 48 really? hours, unless you're Boris Johnson. Yes. Because Boris would not have found him at all funny. He's no. on the front page of the Daily Mail today saying, basically, you know, taking the mickey out of Boris, even doing the voice. And he apparently when he was sitting there talking to the journalist, which I would like to pay good money to see Philip Hammond <laughs> trying to be entertaining and you know, making out his Boris Johnson. You know, he said he's, he's basically has no real plans, mm. bluffs his way through things. Uh, yeah. it, it looks like from where I'm sitting, it's an all-out assault on Boris Johnson. And we will see tomorrow he stands up to address a thousand people uh, at the party conference, uh, as I've nicknamed him the Pied Piper of Birmingham. And, uh, you know, tomorrow we will really see whether or not the cabinet and other senior MPs have misjudged that, because I think that he's going to get a great welcome. Uh, he will be very entertaining. But unless he says something really controversial, I kind of feel he said it all before. Mm. So I don't quite know how far he can go, you know, how. How, what new things he can say in order to, to keep our interest and keep those, the journalists that will be hanging around at the back of the room waiting for every line that he utters. So that's what everyone's waiting for. So today's a bit of a dull day. It feels a bit flat yeah. on the conference floor. Um, Birmingham's not a great venue anyway because in some of the venues you get to kind of debate and you get to ask questions and there's a bit of kind of to and fro from the stage. This one is, it, the venue is very set up to be, we are telling you what to do, you will listen and then you go and then you come back in for the next lot of telling what to do. As I was like, um, how, so, how does the atmosphere compare to the Labour Party conference from last week? Uh, they were much more upbeat right. uh, the Labour Party conference although don't forget there's a big split between those moderates and those kind of, of course, Corbynistas yeah. mm. and so the, but the Corbynistas felt that they'd really got their act together they were on it they were coming up with good policies people liked them uh, people felt that uh, they, could, they could connect with them and so what we've got here is kind of a disappointing kind of oh god we don't really know our way out of this mess and mm. it's, we're consumed by Brexit we don't want to be consumed by Brexit but we don't know how to, to, to kind of rise above it and the only way you rise above that really is to come up with some brilliant eye-catching amazing policies and what the Conservatives are looking like a bit at the moment is the cupboard is bare and yeah. I'm hoping that I'm, I'm just being a bit early on that and they're going to wow me with something later on in the week and I'm just being a bit too pessimistic early on so I'm trying to remain upbeat but I'm hoping they come out with something a bit better than yes. what we started with. Now I was saying this a little bit earlier on in the show that there doesn't appear to be much they can do other than try to make it lo sort of slightly less disastrous than last year uh, where everything sort of fell apart you know figuratively as Quite well literally, as yeah. literally you know but I mean <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the headlines currently you know accompanying Hammond's speech and, and aside from him uh, it's got a major donor, I don't know who it is, you may do, uh, who's apparently said the Tory party has lost its way. And I think there's a sense in a lot of sort of Tory heartlands that that's true. Oh, very much so. I mean, survival is the name of the game this mm. week to the Conservative Party. Just to get through it in one piece without losing mm. someone, having to fire someone without a resignation. And that is a terrible state of affairs, really, when you're ahead in the polls. You know, you should actually be still brimming with ideas, brimming with vision, wanting to get stuff done. She hasn't been in government that long, really, and she still should have the appetite to do some of the big, major reforms that the country needs, mm. whether it's on housing, whether or not it's looking after older people, whether or not it's on mental health. You know, there, there should be brimming with ideas. And we just get the sense that Brexit sucked the life out of everything that they aspired to be. 
what she said on the steps of Downing Street when I was there in 2016, July 2016, when she talks about the great injustices in society and how she's going to tackle those. And we don't see any evidence of that now. And I think we have lost our way. And we've got to find our mojo pretty quick because people will not be patient. People will not give us uh, all the time in the world to, refine that, to find that again. They, they, you know, they want answers and they want leadership. And so, they, they, you know, it's time for the, for, for the Conservative Party to show that they're not just about Brexit. They're not just going to deliver an exit from the European Union next March. They are more than that. And, you know, if we don't do that this week, they're in trouble. They're mm. in real trouble. Mm. Do you think Boris will turn up fighting? I mean, he's not going to sort of like take this lying down, is he? All the attack. I mean, everyone seems to have had a go at him. So he's not going to sort of turn up and be all meek and mild and be Theresa's best friend, is he? No, and Boris Johnson does this brilliantly. He does it every time. He did it to David Cameron, so it's nothing new. Mm. And we totally know what his tricks now. But what basically turns up. He throws a grenade and then he leaves again. Yeah. He never stays for the full conference because, A, it is a bit like a circus around him and he knows that he's dragging you know, the, the air and oxygen away from other cabinet ministers. But also he likes to have that control, which is go in, do my thing, get yeah. out of the game. Yeah. And just say no to everything else because he knows that, that might, you know, there might be some, if you go to a fringe event and then you're speaking, you might cause some problems there. And you just want to focus on your main message. So he'll come tomorrow. The, the Boris Roadshow will roll into town. He'll do his thing tomorrow. I'm desperate to get into the room, although, you know, the fact that I'm going to be queuing with a load of other Tories for about an hour fills me with dread. So I'm going to try and find a way to sneak in the back with the press, stand at the back and just observe him from afar and think, you know what, this is either blooming impressive and hats off to him or this is a bit old hat. Yeah, I think it's going to be the latter. I think it's going to be the latter. And so, you know, I'm going to go in with an open mind Mm. and see, you know, if I come out of there. I remember once going into David Cameron's speech and David Davis's speech when they had that leadership contest. I think it was something like 2005. I went in thinking it was going to be David Davis's absolutely going to nail it. Man of the people. I came out, I was blown away by David Cameron and his ability to, to, you know, really carry the audience with a very young, innovative, modern message. So you never quite know. You think you know before you go in the room. And I just think that you should go in with an open mind mm-hmm. and feel right I'm going to come here I'm going to listen to what you say and then I'm going to judge it mm. got a great tweet here from Howard he says that woman talking just now needs to be Prime Minister uh, he then adds I bet she's hot as well I don't know what to make of that <laughs> wrong on two counts mate, yeah. but, but well, you know listen, what listen going. talking of talking of uh, crowding into a room with a lot of Tories how was the party because you had a big party last night didn't you well, can you tell I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit? And it's not <laughs> because right. I'm screaming at karaoke, because that's not till Tuesday No, of course not. I'm holding, I'm holding out for that. It's because all I've done is talk since I've been here. I'm pretty sick of my own voice. So I'm, I'm glad you not haven't been too sick of me. Uh, yet, <laughs> not at all. No, but, we love your voice. Um, it's... It's, um, you know, everywhere you turn, someone wants to talk to you about the state of the Conservative Party or what do you think is going to happen next or can you write us 500 words on this? Can you do this? And I've just been so busy. But, you know, for someone like me, it's always great to catch up with all of these people here um, and know that, you know, even while things might not be great politically for my side of the fence, there's still a lot of great people involved. I was speaking to someone yesterday from a campaign called Create Streets about how we don't, you know, it's not about ugly buildings. People don't like building flats in the backyard because they're ugly what about if we turn them into beautiful buildings mm. i think people would like to live in new b- b- beautiful buildings rather than run down hovels in their street and so how do we progress that so there's a lot of people here with lots of good mm. ideas it's not just politicians ranting on about the same thing mm. absolutely right mm. well listen katie enjoy Thanks, have katie. a great good time luck. we'll be checking in with you again in the next couple of days katie perrier a former advisor of course to Theresa may uh, in downing street uh, a former advisor to boris johnson mm. as well 
Neil says this, MG, the lady you've just had on might think very differently about punching a burglar if she ever has the misfortune to have her house broken into. Well, she did say she had had her house she broken did, into yeah, when, she was, uh, when she was much younger. Uh, but let's go to Jacques, who's in Andover. Uh, 0344-499-1000 is the number if you want to get in touch, please. Uh, I think that the judge in this case will be held a hero, as Dawn said, yeah. because he appears to be, for the first time, a judge that actually understands what ordinary, what ordinary people worry about. Jacques, a very good uh, morning to you. Well, afternoon, I should say. Welcome. Yeah, hi Mike, hi Dawn. Hiya. How's it going? Tell us uh, what you want to tell us. Yeah, it's going good, thank you. Sun's shining. Um, yeah, uh, being from South Africa, I'm sure you both know and everyone knows that, you know, crime, etc. is quite high there. But um, yeah. about a few months before I actually moved over to the UK, I was, uh, well, I was burgled, my house was broken into and I was there. Um, it was about half past two, three o'clock in the morning. Uh, my partner woke me up. And she said she could hear something. And uh, as true as God, woke up, went into the kitchen, and there was a guy standing in the kitchen, armed with a hammer, you know, helping himself to whatever. Wow. And um, yeah, it was it was quite a scary a scary situation, you know, because I mean, in in uh, in Simonstown, Cape Town, where I'm from, you know, we have baboons breaking into our homes all the time, you know. So it's it's nothing new. So I just thought it was a a baboon or a troop of baboons had broken, but it was actually a burglar. But um, I managed to disarm the guy, get the hammer out of him, and I, you know, I cracked his jaw, fractured his jaw, broke his elbow, and oh, sorry, his wrist. And I had my my uh, my, my foot on his throat, uh, and then waited until the police arrived. You know, so. But so it, when you it, say it, you managed to disarm him, it sounds <laughs> like you pretty much uh, put him to the sword. I have to say, Jack. Well, yeah, you know, six foot three rugby players are African, you know. But, yeah, but, but that um, was necessary to get the hammer off him. I'm assuming course. to do that. Absolutely, mm. yeah. He was he was coming at me with a hammer, you know. And um, the 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 police um, sergeant, you know, afterwards they they arrested the guy and they took him away. He said to me that um, if 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 I had killed the guy. Um, different story but mm. now this, but this guy was then telling the police well no he only came into the house because um he was cold and he was hungry right. you know so right. this was going against me and exactly the same thing happened to a family member of mine you know where he had a his nine mil revolver pointing at the dude waiting for the police to arrive and they said exactly the same thing you know but 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 just as the the the, uh, the, the previous lady you know and i just wanted to add as amicable and as nice, you know, and as democratic as you can be um, towards burglars and what the judge said, you know, up until the time that you are actually standing there face to face with someone with a knife or a hammer, your attitude will change very, of course. very quickly. And what was the police's you know? attitude initially when they came to your house to see you standing over this guy? Uh, well, they just interviewed myself, my partner, you know, and also spoke to the guy and took him away. And, uh, you know, as far as I remember, you know, the next day or two days later, the guy was released, you know. <laughs> so if... nothing happened, really? No, no. exactly. You so know, if, 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 but... if his defence was he was cold and hungry, what did he have a hammer for? No idea. Exactly. Opening that, that tricky my... tin of beans in the cupboard, obviously. Yes, obviously. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. You know, it's the same argument, and, and uh, I'm sure you're both aware of the, uh, the, the, the South African, you know, the farm murders that are happening that's plaguing the country, mm. you know, and no media coverage. And it's literally, over the years, it's gone away from burgling someone to, to steal money or things where it's just gone to cold murder mm. you know people are being murdered you know in gruesome manners and nothing's being taken out of the home mm. you know so but with regards to the laws in, in in the uk or england personally 
if anyone comes into my house, especially when my kids are here, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I would be able to stop myself from no. actually killing. No, I quite them. agree. Absolutely. No, and I think most people, Jack, would would agree with you. I mean, the problem, I suppose, is that you do find in places like the United States and indeed in South Africa, as we saw. I know it was a, a rather unusual case with Oscar Oscar Pistorius. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes the wrong people do get shot. I mean, there's been cases in America um, where where friends have been shot by friends because they came round to the house yeah. unexpectedly. Kids have been shot by their own parents because mm. you know they lost their keys and they started climbing. A window you know so i mean you wouldn't necessarily want to go down that road but road but you would hope that the law would support you if somebody's yeah. in your house yeah. trying to do you harm absolutely but then also and i'm sure you know mike and agree i mean in the united states with guns and also in south africa if you own a firearm of some sort then you would need to go through the necessary training you know you need to be um, not not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally stable. Yeah. You know, in those events, you know, so so that that also plays a big part mm. of it, I suppose. Yes, mm. I think you're absolutely right, Jack. Thanks very Thanks much indeed Jack. for the call. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show ten to one Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed. And it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.